if you've listened to my past episodes, then welcome back. If you're new here, then hi, as per Alex Albon. So today we're on the second recap episode of Netflix's Drive to Survive. As per usual, during each recap, I will be going through what's happening in the episode and making some commentary. When you hear me say shit like side note, sidebar, pit stop, or box, 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 that means I want to go into some more detail about things I feel like the episode missed or really didn't explain well enough. This episode today we're going over is titled The King of Spain, or in Spanish, El Rey de España, which is alluding to the quote rivalry between Renault's Carlos Sainz and McLaren's Fernando Alonso, which was shown at the end of the last episode in the coming up reel. So let's get into it. At the beginning of this episode, we're greeted with some drone shots of the streets and buildings in Madrid, España, including a huge Spanish flag atop uh, an important government building, I'm sure. And I probably passed by there about five years ago when I visited, sigh, the good old days when we were allowed to travel. The opening scene is Carlos with his trainer discussing workouts and then ending that in the sauna to which signs jokes, no cameras are allowed in there because, quote, you don't want to see what happens in there. However, sir, I'm very sure there are some girls and guys that love to get in that sauna. Okay, maybe you should start an OnlyFans. Just saying. Just kidding. Then the training actually starts under Carlos's narration. He, he tells us that racing has always been in his blood and he received his first go-kart at two years old, which now has me thinking maybe I should get one for my niece in a few months for her second birthday. Pretty sure her parents would kill me, but I'm just trying to influence F1 and everyone around me. You know what I'm saying? At this point, we get a little sit-down peek of his name is blank. I drive for blank and holy crap, the lashes on this man. Give me the name of your lash lady. Boys, if you didn't know, girls have lash ladies, but Carlos is just blessed, okay? Anyways, so Carlos has a story of admiring Alonso, referencing um, Fernando Alonso since he was nine years old. Uh, after meeting Alonso at the Spanish Grand Prix, Carlos decided that was the day he wanted to be an F1 driver and he wanted to be just like Fernando. At this point, we're going to box. Since I have an ongoing curiosity for how old all of these guys are, let's do some quick math. Carlos was born in 1994. Oh my God. He's five years younger than me. And I, again, legitimately suck at guessing men's ages. Alonso, however, was born in 1981, which means, wow, they are 13 years apart. Okay. Anyway, we're back. Fade into the caption this season so far. And we see media interview. I mentioned in the last recap that the media slash reporters are freaking savages. So now we hear one of them ask, Fernando, who will win the championship between you and Carlos? Meanwhile, they're literally sitting right next to each other like, awkward. So these journalists love to ask the most uncomfortable questions about the drivers they're sitting right next to or near to. It's just like so aggressive. Um, but I'm here for it. But also listen, these guys are completely used to it. While I personally would run away and cry, these men are real confident and badasses. So he responds that he would just bet on himself and McLaren. Snaps. Flashback caption to the first race in Australia that we just saw with some more dramatic music and drums in the back. The commentator says, what's happening with Carlos in his battle with Alonso? Which I normally would roll my eyes if he was alluding to this made-up Spaniard versus Spaniard rivalry, but... They were literally battling each other in the race. Alonso less than a second behind when Carlos's car smokes up and goes right into the gravel and then back out on the track slowly. 
Alonso finishes fifth, but they don't tell us in the episode. However, Carlos actually finished 10th that race, so he still got into the points. Forward to race two, Bahrain, the role is reversed. Sainz putting pressure on Alonso at some point in this race, but he doesn't get the overtake in that clip. Again, they don't tell us the result. At Bahrain, Alonso was 7th, Carlos was 11th. Fast forward again. Race 3 in China. Carlos is now cut off by Alonso in this quick little scene. The result was Alonso in 7th and Carlos 9th. So let's see. Sam seems to be catching up. Carlos's narration chimes in to reiterate that Fernando is his racing hero. But... He really wants to beat him, and he wants that payback. After that first riveting three minutes, we get the signature title sequence of a Ferrari pit stop again, but this time it happens to be Vettel's car. Now switching to a sweet helicopter view of what looks like a scene from Harry Potter aboard the Hogwarts Express, except it's a blue train, and it's actually in Surrey, England, where McLaren HQ is. Netflix does a quick throwback to six months before the season start, according to the caption. Zach Brown's narration comes in over a scene of a sick black Range Rover pulling into HQ past the huge, probably man-made lake right in front of the building. He's saying that he's always felt McLaren is the best racing team. And in his first sit-down, Zach tells us he's the executive director of the McLaren Technology Group. So take note, he's not technically the team principal. But fun fact, he actually has a racing past himself. He's been in that role uh, for a little under a year, and I think... At that point in the interview, we have the next view of him walking through the lobby, which is just super cool. All of the historic racing cars like Nicky Lauda's and Ayrton Senna's alongside the sleek modern McLaren cars is just like super magical, honestly. There's a huge fan base, but it's been hard to cheer for them in the last five years, according to Zach. Pit stop. The question is, why would Zach say that if McLaren is so legendary? Let's look at the constructors result for the last five years. <clears throat> In 2013, McLaren ended at 5th, 5th again 2014, then, oh boy, all the way down to 9th in 2015, they clawed their way to 6th for 2016, but then, ugh, back down to 9th at 2017. So obviously, we'll have to see where they end up at the end of this 2018 season and beyond. Uh, well, that's definitely not the results a big name like McLaren wants, so now I get it. And he says he wanted a challenge to build up the team, not to technically start at the top, which is a nice way of saying, I get what I get. So we hear some quote-unquote suspenseful music, which kind of sounds like it belongs in an episode of CSI Miami. For those of you that don't know what it is, you're missing out on one of the best cheesy American cop dramas ever. Fade into winter testing, which is one month before the season starts. A lot of media are there, and the drivers unveil their new cars for the season and smile in front of them with their pretty faces. We hear Will Buxton chime in to explain that this time is the first opportunity they see the new car on the track and test the paces. Are they good, fast, and as reliable as they hope to be and really need them to be? Again, he uses the phrase, the stakes have never been higher. I, I can't do his accent referring to McLaren this time, but I actually believe him after seeing those past standings, the team need to rebuild. But what's interesting to me, at least, since at the time I barely knew anything about F1, Will said McLaren would lose their driver, referring to Fernando, Fernando, however you want to say it, not the other driver, which at the time was Stoffel von Dorn, who we haven't met. Sidebar, at this point, Fernando... 
Fernando. I don't know what I can't say his name. At this point, Fernando has been with McLaren since the 2015 season. So three years. And Van Dorn joined in 2016. Fernando himself then says there's a lot of power behind what he asked for. And he is the leader of the team. So he guides as best as possible. Coming from a world champ, I get it. But as a team principal, like, wouldn't they be at least a little bit offended? Shrug. I don't know. Anyway, next scene under this narration is Alonso taking the new McLaren out for winter testing and explaining this is where the team is optimistic and pushing that car to the maximum. When he joined, he says, the team was fighting for a championship and now their job is to fight back to the top, which I kind of wonder, was it due to the car or driver errors? I don't know. I can't speak to that right now since I haven't seen all the races since 2013. Um, about 10 seconds into the scene for testing, there's a radio clip of the engineer saying, the pace is really good. Then Alonzo makes a hard turn around a corner and a curve and there's a lockup and that rear right tire literally pops off as he slides right into the gravel. This is a really bad sign, but Will explains it's better for this to happen now than in an actual race, which makes sense because it's legit called testing. However, he says it's a worrying thing to happen and that, quote, Fernando's not going to be happy, which mm, it makes it almost sound like a diva, which I don't know. I don't know the guy well enough to make that judgment, but whatever. Um, so we're going to box, box, box. The wheel coming off is worrying because like how stable is this car's body? We didn't see how fast he's going, but a drift around a corner and a bumping into the curb of the track really shouldn't have that reaction and the tone slash comment of Fernando not being happy is pointless because what driver would be it's playing into the environment that he's the real boss of the team I don't know back to the show we see the f1 media cameras in the paddock and Fernando makes a comment to the engineers about having them around at the crucial moment and he literally grills the Netflix cameraman with that stern Spaniard grin I mean <laughs> that stern Spaniard grill the scene ends and we have a globe graphic zoom in on race number four, which is Baku. Um, and it's located in the country of Azerbaijan, for those who don't know. And it's a street circuit. Ooh. At this point, we also randomly see Christina Aguilera take a picture with Lewis Hamilton. She has that gelled, wet, like, pushback hair, which, I'm sorry, sweetheart, it does not look good on her. She can do so much better. Anyway. The music in the background is like a Middle Eastern bop, but the fast pace of it definitely is like adding to the excitement. So we see the drivers arriving on track, a little interview clip of Daniel saying he'd love to win and it's going to be a fun race. And then we have a dramatic end to the song and a silent zoom on the Renault camp. The thick accented Frenchman Cyril Abitable, I can't say his name, I'm so sorry Cyril, is having a chit-chat with Carlos Sainz regarding the tire analysis. And then we hear his narration about 2018 being their season to progress and that they can fight for the top spots in the coming years. In his first sit-down interview, Cyril introduces himself as the managing director. And it seems some of these team leaders aren't so bad-looking themselves. Honestly, I feel like Cyril is adorable. He tells the audience that the amazing thing about their team right now are the drivers. Carlos, who we've met, and Nico Hulkenberg, the German 30-year-old at the time, who apparently is also a Leo like me. Woo -woo. He has the same birthday as my niece, which is so cute. 
Um, so to me, that must mean he's probably a firecracker in real life. Cyril says Nico is one of the strongest on the grid. Uh, box at this point. I feel like all the managers and principals have to say that about their drivers. Otherwise, it's like, why do you then have them on your team? And they also have to convince themselves that they feel this is true. Otherwise, then there's really no faith in their talent. And is Nico one of the best? Let's look at his previously stats. Do, do, do. Okay. Unfortunately, this man holds the record for most races without a podium as of the 2017 season, which would objectively, based on results only, mean he is not one of the best. Sorry. But that doesn't mean he's not a great driver. Just at that point, a good midfield driver only, I think. Returning to Cyril, he says that McLaren, a.k.a. Fernando, is their most direct competitor of the midfield. And if he doesn't deliver, then he's fired. Which, like, zam, but I guess that's what they do in the U.S. to head football coaches, too, you know? If your team does shitty, then you're out. You're fired. Um, so back to the cool music and violins and a fancy underbelly shot of a helicopter. Carlos is now narrating about the circuit and how Baku is one of the most difficult ones. I'm assuming he's saying that because it's a street track, which means there is very little room for error. The circuit has a few 90-degree turns and some twisty turns as well. At this point, we are on board with Alonso at the start of the race. So Netflix is reminding us that this episode is still about who will be the king of Spain. The cars zoom off after the five red lights go down on this narrow-ass track. All of them are vying to get ahead in turn one, which doesn't end in disaster. But then in another turn, we see pieces of debris, including what looks like a front wing, go flying in the air from, I think, the Pink Force India car. And from a Fernando's camera, you can see him and the other cars driving over it since there's, like, no other choice. Sidebar. These tires seem to puncture really easily, even though they happen to look super thick. So any type of debris on the track would cause a yellow flag and safety car so the sideline staff can clean up. However, we immediately see another crash between Haas and Alfa Romeo cars who were at the back of the grid, which is good for the drivers ahead. Then Netflix switches on board the Williams racing driver, 22-year-old Sergei Sirotkin. He's going wheel-to-wheel -wheel with Fernando and then bangs into the middle of his McLaren, and the Williams front tire left immediately just comes off. Fernando's car looks okay, but then the engineer says there's a puncture. Before we can emotionally recover, Esteban Ocon in a Force India is then taken out by a Ferrari driver, Kimi Raikkonen, on a turn, and Ocon's car smashes into the barrier. Again, there is debris everywhere. From Alonso's driver's cam, you can see that he's forced to drive over that debris again while that front tire has deflated. But at this point, he's just still going. And he's also cursing out the Williams driver to the engineer. <laughs> Uh, I personally love their potty mouse since I also talk like a sailor. Alonso says that the guys destroyed the race and it's a black flag situation. Box, box, box. What is a black flag? I haven't heard this term yet, so let's look it up. <clears throat> if a driver sees a black flag with his car number on it, that means he's disqualified and must return to the pits immediately. And we're back to seeing Alonso amazingly drive his McLaren with no tire on the back right. And the front right was about to come off in the pit lane. It's insane. Zach comes in and says most drivers would have just retired their car. But Alonso gets a makeover on that car and just keeps going. Switch to Carlos's cam where he's in sixth place at this point and sandwiched between the two Red Bulls. 
We are then shown a scene of Carlos Onuro anxiously watching the race, and he tells us over the narration that he's science's manager and his cousin. And his description of the qualifying to the end of the race being a roller coaster of emotion is echoed immediately on his face as well. And we're back to the race, where the commentator tells the audience that means a lot for Carlos to be on the same level as Red Bull right now. And Onuro mimics that statement as well. As Carlos passes Verstappen, we see the order is Renault, Red Bull, Red Bull, and Renault, which is a great sign for the team. However, we hear his radio where Carlos can tell them his tires are degrading, which means he's going to lose speed and then basically the lead. So from fourth, he's now in the pit lane, and it seems to be a quick change. But as he's out and making his way back, we see the Red Bulls fighting each other. Daniel's desperately trying to get past Max, who is defending his position. At this point, I really wish Netflix showed us what the engineers or Christian was saying to them. This is not what you want your teammates doing. Two seconds later, we see Danny swerving to see which side he can get and take over Max. As he's right behind them, it looks like Max breaks, and then Daniel rear-ends him to the point where Max's car is legitimately lifted up on top of the front of Danny's car. It's literally the worst-case scenario for Red Bull. Both of your drivers who were in the top five are now out, and you get no fucking points. Like, none for Gretchen Wieners. Goodbye. The rental camp all have a neutral, oh, reaction. And the Netflix cameras pan to Christian Horner getting off that pit wall, look like he wants to throw up, or punch both of them right in the throat. And then we have this dramatic editing of Max turning over his shoulder, and you can see... He's still on the track versus Daniel walking on a sidewalk, and it seems he's also turning around, but he doesn't have his helmet on, so obviously it seems like they were trying to, quote, stare each other down, but his editing's a little sloppy. You get the point, though. As Onuro is now explaining that you don't wish or celebrate for teams to crash into each other, but for a midfield team, this is a plus. We also get a shot of the position, and it seems Hulkenberg was already retired, so I guess he must have crashed and we just didn't see it on the show. Well, whatever. At that moment, Carlos is in seventh place, following respectively Grosjean, Perez, Kimi, Lewis, Seb, and then Botas. So now five cars are officially out, the safety car is leading, and the drivers are weaving back and forth to get heat in the tires. Unfortunately, Grosjean crashes as he's heating up the tires behind the safety car. And poor Gunther is like, I fucking can't believe it. Then in real time, Onuro says to the camera, that's how quickly things can change in Formula One. Ouch. Which is 100% correct in all aspects of this sport. Back to Alonso. We are on board with his camera where the engineer is telling him that the pace is great. And at that point, he is ninth, which is just three places behind Carlos. And there are only seven laps left, which is basically like no time. As the cameras on the lead cards, Bottas seems to be driving as normal until, boom, all of a sudden his right back tire immediately is punctured and goes flying off the rim. Now, I slowed down this video multiple times. I couldn't see any debris, so it was probably just like a tiny sharp piece of something that was left over, which sucks for Mercedes and for Bottas. Carlos's narration kicks in and he says that at that point, he wants to try for the podium. He then overtakes Charles Leclerc in Sauber to get into fifth place, but that's where he finishes. But however, that's really great for the team and for him. And we hear the commentator feed into the rivalry, letting the audience know Fernando Alonso finishes as the second Spaniard in this race. 
But after that lap one incident, the fact that he finished seventh is like amazing. Netflix decides to give us a nice slow motion scene of Alonzo taking off that white face cover that goes on before the helmet and his thick brunette sweaty hair flowing in the wind. Carlos goes back to his team camp and everyone is congratulating him. And he tells us that he's proud he can contribute to a great team result, which he means for the Constructors' Championship. And now we finally see who Carlos was talking about in the last episode's clip saying, quote, this guy's not beating me, no fucking way. And he was talking about Charles Leclerc, who was the guy he just overtook, not Alonso. So way to go with the rivalry editing Netflix and steer us wrong. But of course, that's their job to keep the drama and the intrigue going. At this halfway point in the episode, we are now taken to Madrid with some soft Spanish guitar in the background. Someone's perfectly manicured backyard with what I thought was a pool, but there's like no cement surrounding it for chairs. Maybe it's like a mini lake or something for fishies. Who knows? And there's a beautiful house from which this yard belongs. We go inside to see the three Carlos men watching the best team in La Liga, Real Madrid. Sorry if you're a Barca fan, but my fiance is from Madrid, so I'm biased. And these three Carlos men we see are the two we know that we've already met, plus Carlos's dad of the same name, but Mr. Senior. They're all laughing and yelling at the game like all true soccer fans do, while Onu explains that if you've never heard of Carlos Senior, you'd still know he's powerful from his presence. But from the little job headline under his name, we see that he's a two-time world rally champion. Then he yells at the TV screen, my favorite curse word, but in Spanish slang, joder, which the closed captioning says it means damn it, except sorry, kiddos, it really means fuck. So if you're really cursing and you're in Spain, you're going to yell joder or joder tío, which means like fuck, man. Anyway, we see a throwback photo of Mr. Carlos Sr. giving a dab to his junior in the stands with his cute little buck teeth. While Onuro explains that for Carlos, growing up with a dad like that has his pros and its cons. Pro, you get free advice from a racing legend. Con, he's living in his shadow. And those drivers are going to want to beat Carlos Sr.'s son like a, you know, little jealous competitive reason. So Carlos Jr. needs to race in his own right more than any other one. At this point, we hear Senior explain that he would love to be invisible. He does not want the cameras on him anymore, and he wants his son to shine, which, mm, that's so cute. Junior says that although he's extremely proud to be his son, he wants to build his own name in F1, which, uh, of course, at least he's not like an entitled little brat. I hope not. Um, so far, I like Carlos Jr. They're all now having breakfast or lunch together, and we see like this little white dog covered in God knows what come up to Carlos Jr., and he giggles and picks it up and says, this is not a dog, it's a little piece of shit, <laughs> which honestly would have made the coldest man on earth laugh. And you gotta love a handsome and funny kid, you know? Netflix gives us a sudden switch to the global graphic again. Race 5 is in Barcelona, or Barcelona. Uh, the fans are cheering for Carlos, which he's signing lots of Renault gear. And then we see Alonso also autographing for the other fans along the fence. Fernando's doing some press in Spanish for the F1 stage and signing more pictures and gifts for everyone. He's narrating that he wants to do whatever he can to make the people happy in his home race weekend. Fernando makes his way to the grid where the other drivers are standing behind these little kids in their little tiny racing suits. Cute. 
while Alonzo is sweetly giving high fives to all the little kiddos, Daniel, of course, sneaks one in for himself from Alonzo. Um, girls swoon for the silliness. We then see Fernando make small talk with Lewis about carding, which reminds us that they're probably friends outside of this and maybe not all rivalries and just overtaking between the drivers. Alonso then lets us know about his long go-kart 15-year stint and it being his favorite part of his career. In Spanish, he's talking to the little kids about not overtaking and that this is only for an exhibition. One of the little boys in front of him responds, but you overtake. And then he says, not today for that and gives him a little encouraging tap on the shoulder, which I thought was cute and a little cheeky. Uh, scene switch to the paddocks and there's a flamenco band walking around with some fabulous dancer. And of course, she's in a red dress, just like the little emoji. Then we get a shot of Fernando's flag fly right across Carlos's enlarged portrait, which nice shot. A little dramatic tone and we're following Carlos right into the Renault area. He's talking to his dad, and then we see his mom and his sister as well. Senior apparently comes to 16 out of 21 races a year. Wow. What a great support system, and we love to see it, girls. Then we see a random clip is inserted of the McLaren CEO talking to, I think, an engineer, rudely saying, I reckon Grosjean's not coming around turn one, to which the other guy laughs and responds, maybe he might make one, but two, dot, dot, dot. And they continue to laugh, which, of course, is like a mean-spirited joke, and I just didn't grow up liking that stuff. But my man always says I'm sensitive, and he would tell me, this is just how guys are. They have to talk shit in a competitive sport like this, so whatever. But the inserting of it, like of this clip, just seems so random. Uh, at this point, the commentator lets us know that all eyes are on the Spaniards. Carlos says that even though Alonso is his hero, he's now just some other guy he needs to beat which good for him. He's got to get that out of his head. The drivers are all lined up on the grid, now getting in, and their mechanics are strapping them in like little babies. Skip two, they're off. Carlos kept Alonso behind him on the turn, but he goes slightly off the track, and Alonso looks like he's about to get further up. Suddenly, Grosjean spins into the middle of the track, which is now why we see the previous joke was actually foreshadowing, and what just happened, no bueno. Unfortunately, he takes out Pierre Glassley in the Toroso and a Renault. But who is it? Everyone starts freaking out in the camp until, unfortunately, we realize it's Nico, not Carlos. Poor Nico, but thankfully for the family watching on, Carlos is still in it. Editing skips the safety car and the restart right into Sainz's eighth place pressuring the Haas of Magnussen in front of him. On board with Alonso, who's an 11th, trying to get past Ocon and gets passed on the outside successfully. Carlos then boxes and the engineer warns about possible traffic, leaving the pit lane. Upon exiting, he's at 11th, while passing Brendan Hartley in the other Toro Rosso that didn't get taken out for 13th place. Now Sainz is trying to overtake Marcus Erickson in the Alfa Romeo going wheel to wheel around the curve. They are literally an inch apart. Unfortunately, he doesn't make it pass. It seems the team and Carlos aren't on the same page of this race strategy. The kid's just trying to overtake and the engineers are telling him to only worry about the cars behind, like Leclerc and Alonso, as well as focus on the tires. A little narration comes in of Carlos talking about putting on a good show for his home race and the urge to win. But then the chief engineer is now cursing out Carlos as an en engineer to repeat himself. Like, damn, you can hear the radio, so obviously he told him. Erickson then pits and Carlos speeds off. However, Alonso is in on his ass after overtaking Leclerc and only six laps to go at this point. We hear a different engineer tell Luce, who's science engineers, that there was a pressure drop, something to be, quote, quite scared of. 
and they're referring to the fuel pressure at this point. Carlos immediately comes on the radio with a worried, oh, the engine, I had a fuel dropout, which just from his tone without knowing any technical car terms is probably not a good sign. Carlos and the engineers are now discussing taking it easy because of the engine losing power. So he's not retiring, but that means whomever is close enough behind can potentially pass him, which of course, as we know, is Fernando. Now, cut back to Fernando's radio, and his engineer knows Carlos has slowed down, and he's pushing him to catch up. At this point, we see Carlos's family is anxiously watching on, as are the rest of us audience members. There's one lap left, and he's not caught up, but close. Oh, Carlos finishes seventh in front of Alonso. He beats his hero, he beats McLaren, and he wins his home race. Well, in terms of the Spaniard rivalry. Cyril is beaming, but Zach, of course, looks dejected. Then, in a sweet display, the two Spaniards are given their home flag to hold up while doing a slow lap for the fans and waving. Cutting back and forth between the two gentlemen taking pictures together and Carlos's sit-down, he says it's amazing thinking back to 14 years ago when they met that one fateful day and he would beat the best in the world, which is cute if you're a Sands fan. If you're a Alonso fan, you're like, fuck him. <laughs> the team then takes a selfie cheersing with Estrella Galicia, the beer, which is from my bestie's home city, Galicia. So try it if you ever get a chance, people. And then we get an abrupt end to the arrival episode. And now we see the coming up real. Daniel's voiceover says he has to look for another contract. Christian's voice then says Daniel's is at a crossroad. Well, Danny then looks like he's about to jump off some wall in Monaco post-jogging. And his voiceover edit is saying, what if I just break free? Very much giving me dramatic Elsa, like into the unknown vibes. No shade. I love that song. By the way, this is the same clip that we saw at the end of the last episode. <sighs> Give us something new, Netflix. <clears throat> Will Buxton's voice then chimes in, telling us that Max is Red Bull's chosen star. Back to Daniel's voice. The better I do, the better offers I get. Him then telling a reporter, until I lift that trophy, I will not be satisfied. Which, of course, we assume he's talking to the Drivers' World Championship. And then he finally jumps off that wall while we hear, it's my time. It's my fucking time. But, oh, next clip is a race commentator saying, what has happened to Daniel Ricardo? The Red Bull team looking stressed AF. And then Danny on the radio, I'm losing power. And from the pause clip, we can see he's in the Monaco Grand Prix. And scene. That's it. That was the whole episode, everybody. I would like to, as always, Thank you all for joining today's exciting episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please remember to follow me on Instagram at the Real Drivers of F1. And feel free to email me any questions or suggestions, comments, whatever you want. The Real Drivers of F1 at gmail.com. Good morning. And in case I don't hear from you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, my new friends. Bye. Bye.